Hi everybody, uh, welcome back. Um, with Kevin and Shaq, I'm Tori. Before we get into, uh, we're actually going to do two race recaps this week. Um, but before we get into that, a bit of news about the podcast in general. So we have a new name. We're now going to, going forward, we'll be known as uh, Peaky Downforce, the Peaky Downforce podcast. New name, same vibes. Uh, two F1 enthusiasts featuring a noob. We're going to talk shop about Formula One. We're going to talk about what's going on in the, in the world of sport. How are the teams performing? Championship implications. Uh, of course, context on the tracks and historical performances there. Kind of any and everything under the sun about Formula One. So um, thanks for spending your time with us. Let's get into it. So the season is in full swing. And after four races, we're really starting to see where the grid is standing and how things are shaking out during the 2021 season. So let's take a closer look at things. First off, we have the battle between Mercedes and Red Bull. So after four, after four races, Mercedes has won three to Red Bull's one. Now, despite having what looked to be the fastest car in the preseason, into the season thus far, Red Bull's only been able to out-qualify Mercedes once. So Shaq, can you uh, walk us through a quick recap of the last two races? Yeah, um, so we can start with Portugal from about two weeks ago. Uh, so Portugal saw our top four qualify in the order Botas, out-qualifying Hamilton for the first time this season, uh, followed by Verstappen in third and Sergio Perez uh, up in fourth place. Uh, the race started basically with Hamilton um, dropping back to third place after an early safety car when the two Alpha Tari or Alpha Romeos crashed into each other. Uh, at that restart, Verstappen kind of got a jump on Hamilton. Now, following that jump on Hamilton, uh, Verstappen made a small mistake uh, a few laps later, which allowed Hamilton to get, get uh, Verstappen going into turn one, uh, get back up into P2, and a few laps later, a similar move put him ahead of his teammate Botas, who lost P2 to Verstappen after struggling with to heat his tires up after his uh, initial pit stop. Now, Perez uh, was initially overtaken by Leclerc and Norris at the start of the race, so he kind of lost touch with the front group, uh, but he was able to fight back through uh, and finish basically P4 where he started. Uh, so we had Hamilton winning the race with Verstappen P2, Botas P3 to round out the podium, and Perez in fourth. Now, Spain, which has historically been a very strong track for Mercedes, uh, they've qualified, I think, at the front of this race for the last, like, eight years or something like that. Uh, the only year they didn't win was 2016, and obviously that was because the two Mercedes took each other out after Hamilton and Rosberg crashed into each other out of turn three. Uh, but Spain this year saw Hamilton not qualify for Stappen in P2 and Botas in PT, P3. Critically, Sergio Perez, after a reported shoulder problem in qualifying, spun on his first Q3 lap and was able to post a time better than P8 on his second Q3 run. Uh, at the race start, Verstappen did manage to edge Hamilton out uh, to the edge of the track at turn one, very similar to a move at Imola, uh, but this time we saw the Brit actually back out and concede first place rather than risk damaging his car. Now a safety car in lap eight. Uh, due to Yuki Tsunoda basically having engine problems, saw Hamilton able to tighten the gap up to Verstappen uh, to within DRS range, where Hamilton kind of sat unable to pass until Verstappen pit on lap 24. Now, Hamilton would continue on for another five laps and pit on lap 29, 
And with that, he was able to easily catch back up to the gearbox of the Red Bull after just a few laps, uh, closing out. I think it was about a six-second gap in a matter of laps. Now, Hamilton looked like he was doing well and had a chance of overtaking Verstappen if he could get a good run, good run out of Sector 3. And it really looked like he was going to be able to kind of just pass on track for first place, which we know is kind of hard to do in Spain. But to everyone's surprise, on lap 41, Hamilton actually jumped back, right back into the pits from right behind Verstappen uh, for a new set of mediums. And essentially, this left Lewis with 25 laps to hunt down Verstappen, who was on who was about 23 seconds up the road with tires that were going to be about 17 to 18 laps fresher. Hamilton did manage to finally complete the move on lap 60, which was a little bit better than the Red Bulls predictions. They thought they were going to catch up to them on the last lap. Uh, and Hamilton ended up winning the race ahead of Verstappen in P2 and Botas in P3. Thanks for the recap, Shaq. That was great. Um, let's take a closer look at the, the two front, runner, front runners in the championship race. Uh, where do we see the championship battle going? Um, give me your take, both of you guys. Well, um, I, I kind of see the battle being very close during the rest of the year, but I kind of see, kind of see it shaking out in the end like it has so far. I mean, as far as the cars, I think they're more evenly matched than they have been in the past, but uh, especially the past few years, but I don't, and I know we're going to I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but I don't see Max getting any more help than he is, or that help actually doing him any good throughout the rest of the year. He's kind of going at it by himself, so uh, I kind of see him staying in the fight, but I don't see the gap getting that much smaller as far as the points battle goes between the two drivers um, at the top. That's kind of that's kind of where where I see things going. I'm not, you know. Yeah, I what think about you, Shaq? It's it's kind of just starting to feel like So Red Bull Red Bull had a bunch of championships, right? They won from 2019 to 2013. And they've really gotten away for the last couple of years with being able to just be that punchy third team on the grid. Uh, who snuck in and won two or three races a season, and everyone loved them and thought they were so great. And now that and it, it was always oh, if Red Bull had a had a car to compete, oh, if if Max had a car to compete. And it's starting to feel like people are really and Red Bull's really realizing just how good Mercedes is because it's always been oh, you know, Mercedes just has this car, this that, the other. Uh, but but I'd argue that they haven't always had the car this season and they've just managed to outperform Red Bull whether it's because Perez maybe hasn't been there at every race um, or just bull strategy calls they they've kind of outwitted Red Bull a couple of times you look at Bahrain Lewis Lewis forced Max to try and pass him on the outside of the track and he kind of used up his tires and just couldn't do it again even though they had the faster car and I I think Red Bull is just a bit rusty as far as championship championship battles and they're starting to realize yeah, these guys have won seven years in a row for a reason. They're just really good, and they they don't mess up. They don't make mistakes. Yeah, I think so, I said the, this. Oh, sorry. Go, no, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I go think ahead. I said this on race day where, you know, there's a lot of kind of gamesmanship going on. There's a lot of uh, kind of, um, I guess, teams trying to misdirect each other. And, you know talking about maybe Mercedes was sandbagging at the beginning of the season, you know, seeming slower than everybody else just to kind of 
you know, push through them kind of like a pool shark. Um, but I think may, maybe, you know, to to your point, Shaq, I think they maybe have to kind of admit that they thought they had them but when they really did not have them at all um, or didn't have them in the way that they thought, like on the ropes, um, and that they are just that much better than them um, as, uh, you know, going through the rest of the season. And maybe if they take that into account when they're coming up with strategy, especially with the two drivers that they have, maybe they can, maybe they can do something, you know, a little bit more special with the rest of the season. So there's a couple things that I've, I've kind of noticed over the last few weeks here. The first of which is, it seems like we're in the midst of a narrative shift. When this season started, you know, me not knowing anything about the sport, anything outside of Drive to Survive regarding like the different teams and their standings and how recent performance, you, I, I thought, uh, Red Bull had a supercar. I thought they had the car that everyone needed to beat. I thought that they were going to be untouchable the way things were framed. And now it seems like the winds are changing. It seems like I'm seeing, I'm, I'm hearing and reading more things saying, oh, the car is hard to control. And I'm just wondering, is anybody else noticing that? Or, or am I just imagining it? <laughs> no, it's, it's 100% there. Um, I've, no, been, yeah. I've been on Reddit and on Twitter seeing it, arguing with people about it. Um, it's it's true. It's that's that's what they've been doing, and it's again that kind of Red Bull has had the luxury for the last couple of years of just being able to fall back as this third team, where when they win it's awesome, and then when they don't do well, no one really pays attention because well, oh their car is not as fast, and it's almost like they're falling back on those excuses again. I mean, we saw Christian Horner, their team principal himself, say that they just they were just too slow, and that's that's the reason he gave for them for them losing in Spain, which. One, I don't buy, because if you had had your second driver up there, I think you win that race. Facts. Uh, but that's I just I don't buy that because we saw in preseason testing, we saw in Bahrain that the Red Bull was clearly faster. I still think they were faster in Imola. We saw in qualifying, they should have qualified on, both of them should have qualified on the front of the grid, but both drivers made mistakes in their Q3 quali lap. Same thing in Portugal. I think Mercedes might have had better race pace in Portugal, but at the same time, Verstappen still made a mistake on his Q3 quali lap, and he should have been. He had the pace for pole, but he ran off the track a little bit, and the lap got taken away. So, I mean, sure, you, you can... I don't... Here, even... I think it's been back and forth, is, is I guess what I'm saying. I think they've been better at some tracks, and Mercedes has been better at some tracks. But I also think Mercedes has done a better job at minimi- minimizing their mistakes, is, I guess, what I would say there. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think Mercedes has definitely done a better job of compensating for anything that their car might have lacked with their strategy. And also, it doesn't help to have the, you know, uh, um, a generational talent behind the wheel on your team. I think, I think, what, you know, we can't discount that part. But, you know, as a team, I think they are doing a better job um, kind of compensating for uh, that lack of raw speed that we definitely noticed and saw that you know, that gap that's that that they have between their car and the red bull I, I definitely don't want to sound like a mercedes fanboy or anything like that but the difference and i think this parallel holds up even in this sport when compared to like the nba or the nfl the difference between a good team and a great team 
is that a great team wins the games and matches and instances that they are supposed to win. They are consistently excellent. They are able to capitalize and minimize mistakes. Whereas a good team might surprise you every now and again. They might win one that you didn't expect them to win. They might like shock the world every now and again, but they're inconsistent. And it, it seems like there's a bit of that shaking out here where even if Mercedes screws up, they have the experience, they have the historical backing, they have the talent to make up for it and still be consistent. Um, when I was watching Spain, uh, they kept talking about, uh, I think, Hungary in uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, what exactly happened there and what was the parallel between that race and what just transpired? So it was almost kind of the same thing that we saw here. Uh, Hungary 2019, I believe, I think Hamilton and Botas started on the front row. But Botas made a mistake going into turn one and basically overcooked his tires and fell way back in the pack, back to like P6 or 7. And it ended up just being Hamilton and Verstappen up at the front. Verstappen actually overtook Hamilton. Uh, it might have also been at turn one. It was early in the race. And for the rest of the race, the two of them, kind of similar to what we saw this weekend, just took off up the road. Uh, there were no safety cars, so they were a good, like, 30 seconds clear of everybody. It was actually to the point, I believe they lapped everybody except for, I think, everyone above P5. Or everyone below P5 got lapped by Hamilton and Verstappen that race. And it was just the two of them fighting back and forth. And Hungary's another one of those tracks where it's very hard to overtake. Uh, so we saw the same thing. They went into the pits. They came out. Verstappen was still ahead, and there was just nothing that Lewis could really do on the track to get past him. He just kind of was on his gearbox the whole time, and with 20 laps left, Mercedes pit Hamilton, and on the radio, Hamilton was like, what are we doing? Are you sure this like makes sense? And they pit Hamilton, and they basically gave him 20 laps to put in just like 20 quality laps to catch up to Verstappen, overtake him for the win. I think he did it with like three or four laps left in Hungary. And it was there was nothing they could do because there was no one around. Uh, neither the Mercedes or the Red Bull second drivers were anywhere near them to where they could have interfered. And at that point, it was just Hamilton on a fresh set of tires, just putting in crazy race pace to catch Verstappen. And Verstappen, there was nothing they could do. If they pit Verstappen, he would be behind Hamilton, and then he would be in the position where he couldn't he couldn't overtake Hamilton either. Uh, so. They, so it was a bold was, strategy call where they just lost. Was this a so was this a strategic failure by Red Bull or is this more about Max Verstappen not having the support that he needs in critical moments from that second driver to help out? Ooh, that's a great question. Ah, <laughs> uh, like Jack, you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So I would I would say a little bit of both. Um, I think in Hungary, it was just purely they didn't have a second driver up there uh, because no one was expecting it. This is like really the first time we had really seen this move pulled. Uh, they weren't expecting it, and once it happened, it was basically done. There was nothing Red Bull could do. Um, if they had tried to pit, I don't think Max would have got out of the pits ahead of Hamilton. Uh, so at that point, it was just they don't have the second driver. Here in Spain this weekend, I think there are some points that could be argued to say that it might have been a strategic failure. Um, Simply because, one, yeah, Perez wasn't there. But the thing about Spain is Spain's a pretty 
pretty rough on the tires because there's there's a lot of corners. There's a mix of high speed and low speed corners, but it's it's very hard to stretch Spain to a one to a one pit like a one stop race. Especially because I think I think Mercedes just inherently is better on the tires, and I think Red Bull is a little bit harder on the tires, and they run through tires a little quicker. So personally, I think the major strategic error that that Red Bull ran was trying to make this a one stop race for them in the first place. I think they should have came into this thinking we're going to two stop. They didn't, but I I think I think that's really the biggest the biggest place where they messed up to me is they should have always in their head think that this is a two stop race for us. Um, it's it's pretty much always been a two stop race. Making it a one stop is very hard. So. I think I think that's the biggest strategic error that they made. Um, again, the biggest issue though I think was in fact just Perez not being there to to try and help with strategy options. Yeah, I do think it's an issue of like six in one hand, half a dozen in the other, um, as far as figuring out what the you know real issue was or 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 is. Um, uh, I th- this is another thing I brought up, you know, is it time to kind of have that conversation um, possibly um, about, you know, Perez and his performance. Um, I know we're going to possibly go into detail about that a little bit later, but I don't think Max could have done anything um, more than, than what he, you know, than what he did. Um, like you said, the Red Bull seems like it burns through tires faster um and the mercedes is you know easier on the tires but also you know lewis hamilton is you know very good at you know kind of conserving maintaining pushing just enough on his tires to kind of keep them tires. keep them healthy you know and lewis hamilton is very good full stop <laughs> i mean yeah right you could just yeah, stop the sentence but like after one that. of his one of him him and perez i'd say are like the two best like tire managers on the grid the two of them yeah. are just insane for sure tire. i mean you could you could even see it in the their both of their first stints where you know he got the jump on hamilton but you know every three or four laps hamilton would be knocking on his door in drs range and and try and get that you know pass in the front in the first corner and you know be just out of range um and back off, let everything cool down, build up some more battery power, and then four or five laps later, come back and do it again. You saw it go back and forth. So I don't think, I think Max was doing, you know, driving at the pace that was comfortable for the Red Bull to try and stretch those tires to the one-stop strategy, but I don't think that, um, well, I don't, obviously that wasn't a good idea to try and stretch them. Um, And two, I think that, you know, Mercedes just did a better job with that strategy call, um, knowing that they could manage those tires and still be within the fight and still be able to make that two stopper work because they were still close enough. You know, I think it's a combination of all of those things like in concert that led to that pass on was that lap 60, 60, 60 yep, 60. Yeah, I think it's a combination of those things. Okay. Um, I want to circle back to something that that Kevin brought up a little while ago regarding Mercedes benefiting from a um, generational talent in Lewis Hamilton. 
Do you guys think that maybe he's suffering a little bit from LeBron James, Steph Curry, even Russell Westbrook syndrome, where they perform at such a high level so consistently that over time that loses some of its luster? What are, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think I think it was it last week or the week before that we, we had the conversation about driver of the day and we were joking that Hamilton never wins driver of the day. And I think I think that's a direct result of exactly what you're talking about, of just it's expected of him now. It's just whatever is expected of Lewis Hamilton. It, like if if it's possible in a car, Lewis Hamilton is expected to do it. So when, when he does put in these extraordinary performances, it just doesn't get recognized because it's like, well, it's Hamilton. He's done this before. He's going to do it again. It's whatever. Um, whereas you see, you see like newer drivers. Like like, we look at George Russell, qualifying, putting his his Williams into Q two as like the greatest thing ever. But then Lewis Hamilton goes and wins a race, and we're just like, oh, cool, Hamilton won again. And yeah, I think it's just mainly, mainly that. Yeah, I think I think it's just kind of uh, I think part of it might be audience fatigue just and I think LeBron is a very good I guess LeBron and Steph are very good comparisons just because we see them do exceptional things so frequently that it becomes their standard but we forget that that's their standard and we forget to compare them to the rest of the field and how they're performing. Um, and I think, you know, if you compare, you know, Lewis's performances, his numbers, his um, his records to the rest of the field, you know, he has these records for a reason. That's because his standard is... <laughs> at least up to this point is just above you know far and above you know anything else you know far and above anything else that anybody's doing and i you know i i hate that it that it's like that um but i i, I feel like i i hate this phenomenon that that uh that exists and I've fallen victim to it before, where it's like you get. To, I think you you hit nail right on the head. Audience fatigue plays into it. Um, Russell Westbrook is a great example. He just broke a record for triple doubles that was thought to be untouchable. He just broke it. I was just I'm about not, to bring that up. Yes. And I, I won't say no one's talking about it, but I will say the world hasn't stopped like you would expect it to in the sporting world. And I think Lewis Hamilton is is dealing with parallels of that same type of dynamic where it's like i've been consistently excellent and i could i could understand why there's rumblings of perhaps him being ready to hang it up sooner than later because not only is there not much left to achieve but you're the one who has everything to lose every time you get on the track because we know from watching sports that people love a fall from grace more than anything else Everybody wants to poke holes rather than sing praises. It's just the nature of of sports in general. People love that underdog that suddenly wins. You get tired of the same person winning over and over again for the most part. Um, so it, it's just, I try to make a concerted effort to take a step back. And it's a little easier for me to do being new to the sport. Take a step back and admire greatness while it's happening because you never know when that's going to happen again if it does. I think Formula One is a little different because you got somebody else who has the same car. So it, 
it's it's not like there are two Steph Currys <laughs> with the exact same skill set on the same court at the same time. There's not. So I, I, I don't really know how else he can get more of that recognition. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, even, like, with what you're saying, with them having a direct parallel with someone in the exact same car, is people don't look at it and say, wow, Hamilton is doing so well that he's outperforming his teammate Valtteri Bottas. They instead look at it and say, wow, Bottas is rubbish because he can't keep up with Hamilton. And it's, right. it's, it's kind of like, it's this weird thing that we see where with Mercedes, with Hamilton, if his teammate's not there, the teammate sucks. But then if you look at like a Red Bull, you don't, you don't get the, like, they gave Albon a, a season and a half. And it was like, no, it's okay. He's, he's going to catch up. He's going to be okay. Rather than it just being no. And it was just Verstappen is so great that he makes his teammates look bad. But for some reason with Mercedes, it's not, you don't get that. It's not, oh, Hamilton's so great. He just makes Botas look, look bad. It's no, Botas just sucks and he needs to be replaced. <laughs> and it's it's like this weird thing. I mean, I don't I don't know, man. It's it's just this weird thing that that Hamilton. Can. It's like you said. I guess it's like LeBron James syndrome, where and kind of like that fatigue where you're at the top so long and people just get tired of it and they look for basically any reason to knock you. But yep, I see the same thing. Parallels between the Patriots and the Mercedes team. It's almost like uh, I like I wish I had gotten that sound thing together because it's like the Tyrese meme. You know, like what more do you want from? Him? <laughs> <laughs> like, what more? Does, what more can you want from Lewis Hamilton? He's he's broken so many records and barriers that, like, okay, if you don't like, if you don't think this is great, then you know, I might as well go out while I'm on top, because you, because apparently you're just waiting until I fall off in some way yep. or form. And you don't have to like him, but I do think you should be able to to. Have respect for what's being accomplished you, in you front gotta of you. Got to respect greatness, man. The first guy to a hundred poles, and the next closest person in poles is like almost forty poles away. Like that's like, that's come insane. On. Come on, that's insane. And there's somebody in the same car as him. <laughs> like we, what? It's crazy. And it's not we even. It's, and listen, you can you cannot like Botas, but it's not like he's a slouch in qualifying. Like he no. he runs no. Hamilton very very close. I think I think outside of. Probably outside of Rosberg, he's the closest, the closest teammate Hamilton's ever had in qualifying. So it's not like he's a slouch in qualifying. His the, the big difference between the two of them is really race pace and tire management. But again, they just they don't take that into effect. It's just oh, Botas is just garbage, and that's why he can't keep up with Hamilton. It's not that Hamilton's just that great. So I don't know. And granted, there are people really... that do respect it, but there's just such. I guess it's just the vocal minority is probably what we're what we're talking about. But it's just. It gets dull having to see that all the time, you know? For sure. Um, I think that's a good natural segue into... Uh, let's talk a little bit more about these these uh, these second drivers for uh, Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, Kevin, you kind of you hinted at wanting to get into this a little bit earlier, so I'll let you lead here. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts, man? Do you, are they overperforming, underperforming? Or how, do you, how do you feel about the... I don't want to call them the help because they're not. They're stars in their own right, you know. Yeah, but you can't. Yeah, you can't call them a supporting cast. Um, but we'll just call it, call them what they are: second drivers, right? Um, and I am seeing kind of a difference here um, in their performance as far as rate as far as race day goes. And I don't know. I have I have some real thoughts. Uh, about about both of them so 
Botas, it 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 feels like he's he's got this qualifying pace that's that's right up there. You know, like we keep saying, he's in the same car. But on race day, it almost feels like I'm not sure whether it's he gets gun shy or what the psychology is behind it, but it almost feels like it's in him to kind of take that take that second place not and not second place in the race but just not drive with um that same aggression i think one of the uh, commentators said it like that kind of killer instinct that makes max do those you know pull those you know turn one passes of these last few weeks um the same kind of you know sticking out the elbows that Lewis Hamilton will, will will do to kind of work his way back up, like when he made that um, mistake in the rain. Can I um, can I jump in real quick right here on this point that you're making? Because uh-huh. from what I've seen, it's starting to feel to me that Botas has he only has that energy when it comes to getting out of the way for Hamilton, or when it comes to making a strategic decision that he's being you know or following through on a team decision that involves him stepping aside then i've start i've felt like he's been more aggressive he's been like well no i don't want to get out the way but it from what i've seen it doesn't seem like he always has that same energy for the opposition oh yeah so to, so to be to be fair to both us um i think it was 20 it's either 2017 or 2018 they actually made Botas move over. It was late in the season. He he was basically out of the championship fight. And he was leading the race. Hamilton was in second. And they were... Mercedes was in a tight championship battle with Ferrari. And they actually put in team orders and made him basically concede and give Hamilton the win. Because Hamilton was the one basically fighting for the championship. And after that race, he pretty much said that he sat down with Toto and Toto agreed and they just basically said that they would never ask him to do that again. Which, I get that, but I don't think this weekend was that because kind of like what you said, he, he doesn't have that energy for the opposition, right? I think Botas' biggest issue as a driver, personally, is that he's too timid. He doesn't stick his elbows out enough and it just feels like in any kind of like on-track battle, he kind of just gives up. He... He's not willing to, to push it to the edge. He's not willing to really defend his position very well, and he doesn't really attack very well. And it just feels like, yeah, like you said, if he's going to have this energy and be like, oh, I don't want to get out of the way, well, do that at the beginning of the race. Like, get, get in Leclerc's way. Don't let him just drive around you at turn three. Push him a little wide. It's okay. It's the lap one. They'll let it go. And actually fight for your position. Don't, don't then... Later in the race, when your teammates are on a completely different strategy and was always going to get past you, say I'm driving my own race. Your race is third place, bro. You're not. You're not going anywhere at that point. And it just, it's too little, too late. I guess is is really what it is. Like you're, you're picking the you're picking the wrong battles. Is really what he's doing. Like fight Hamilton at the beginning of the race. Don't fight him when he's going for a win. And kind of his, I don't know if you guys saw his reasoning, but he basically said in the post-race interview that he was trying to run his own race and do his own strategy, and he was trying to get Leclerc out of his pit window so he could get one point um, for fastest lap. Fastest lap. And in my head, I'm like, so your concern is one point for fastest lap, 
versus the seven point difference that it's going to make if your teammate gets a whole nother place. Right, right. And it feels like, like oh, that is the crux of the issue. It feels like the, his individual accolade is, is more important than the overall team's success. And, you know, this is a one-sided conversation. We don't have him here to, to tell us what's going on in his head. But that's just what it seems like from a casual fan. Yeah, and it, so, like, that's really the that's really the biggest point with, with Botas is that lacking killer instinct, that not thinking um, truly, truly about the bigger picture and um, getting, I guess, I'm not sure whether the talk gets to him, but getting a little bit selfish when it comes to kind of the team shine and his teammate you know doing anything really around him near him having to go through him around him um or whatever um but on kind of the opposite side of things like i'm 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 wondering whether we're just seeing a very slow start from sergio from checo um, or whether we can look forward to more of this from Perez because we see that it's kind of been a mixed bag. He's had, you know, two P5s, a P4, and let's see. I think it was P11 in his yeah, first race. In the first race, um, let's see, um, he qualified P2 in Imola. He out-qualified Verstappen, um, but he hasn't, in the most important moments, he has not been there to um, be any kind of factor in Red Bull's strategy um, in, like, the late race. And, uh, you know, I've got to wonder, is this, uh, is this, like, the the same sort of thing where Red Bull is only you know a one car team and they can't manage to get the second car to even be a part of you know the mix at the front of the pack and um, or is it just Checo just being new to the car and trying to figure out like okay this car I you know he comes from driving what people call the pink Mercedes um, to driving you know, a car that's maybe harder on the tires, um, maybe has more straight line speed or more horsepower, quote unquote. Um, you know, is it, you know, what is it? Um, I think that's the biggest question um, for Red Bull right now. So, I mean, this, the, the one reason Red Bull went out and hired Perez, right? They, they sacked Albon, he's now the reserve driver. They went and got Sergio Perez, um, proven race winner, won, won in Sakir last year. And it was to be that second Red Bull seat, kind of a la, a la Daniel Ricciardo a couple years ago, where they could get close to Max, they could win the auto race. Um, you know, they, they were there. They were thereabouts near Max. That's why they got him, right? Now, the biggest thing was... They toted, you know, we got present early. He's been working with the team. He's been driving the old cars. He's been on the simulator. We want to get him in early to start to start the season off strong. And that just hasn't been the case. Uh, we've, we've kind of seen him strong. We've seen flashes. I mean, in Imola, he, he put in a decent qualifying lap. 
Uh, he did make a mistake, same as Verstappen, but he was he was up there. Uh, we've seen in race pace, he's he's been pretty good as far as race pace, but I would argue so was Albon. I don't think, and this is kind of where the crux of it is for me, is if I'm Red Bull, between Perez and Albon right now, and again, this is very early, right? We're four, we're four races into a 23-race season, but I genuinely think right now, Alex Albon in this same car, you don't really see much difference. Right, we know last year Alex Albon struggled with the rear of the car. Um, they've clearly improved the rear end of the car. That's the reason AlphaTauri didn't take last year um, Red Bull's rear suspension from last year, and they're still driving the two-year-old rear suspension because they knew it was a problem. This car looks significantly better to drive, a lot more stable. I don't see Albon doing any worse than Perez's right now. Um, I mean, we're seeing the exact same issue Albon had. He wasn't able to qualify near near Verstappen, but then you put him in the race and he had good race pace. And I just don't see the difference. And genuinely, I'm kind of right now, and again, early days, I'm kind of leaning to the side of saying I would have just left Alvin in the seat because at least he has experience with the team and a little bit more experience with the car than Perez does to where with these improvements, I think he might just be doing a little bit better early on in the season. Um, again, I, I might be stretching it, but that's just kind of where my thoughts are right now. You know, um, so I like to get into the kind of psychology of, uh, of drivers, and, like, that's why this, this Botas situation is so um, intriguing to me because I don't, I don't think it's an issue with him as a driver. Sure, we, sure we know Lewis is kind of like a preternatural, like, generational talent. But Bottas is uh, is a you know great driver, one of the top drivers in the world, and you know what is you know so what could be you know causing that issue? But as far as Perez, like I wonder if psychologically is it that he's used to in a race having to really like scrap and bump and fight with you know people surrounding him and, and somehow come out on top uh, of, of that scrum is that you know is that where he's most comfortable and maybe he's like not I don't want to say unconsciously like kind of maintaining that kind of that kind of pace but you think or, it's like a pressure thing where like now the pressure's on him yeah, whereas now he could, whereas now, like, okay, maybe don't do it in, maybe he's not necessarily doing it in qualifying and ending up in the scrum and and having to fight against, you know, upper midfield teams in order to make it back to the podium or top four or top five sort of deal. Um, I, you know, that's, uh, that's a whole, you know, we don't, I can't, you know, pick his brain and figure out, you know, exactly how he feels about, you know, going from a midfield team to a top team and now having the expectation, you know, with, you know, within, you know, the few beginning races of the season to actually make it to the front of the grid. Not just the expectation, but we all know how Red Bull is. We all know that they have Helmut Marco and he's not the easiest guy to deal with as far as being a driver. Um, So, I mean, it could be that. Um, It could also be the fact that Again, you you just the spotlight the spotlight wasn't on Perez before, right? Now it is, and 
being being 100% honest about Perez, he's never been a top qualifier. He's never been a super strong qualifier. Um, I kind of like an Alonso. Alonso's, I'd say, better, but Alonso's never been the fastest single lap guy. But his race pace is just ridiculous, and that's he can manage a race like no one else. Um, and that's kind of been Perez. He's never been the best qualifier, but he's really good at tire management and just pulling out really good long stints. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily what Red Bull needs. I think they need someone that's able to get up up front early. And I, I mean, he we he might be able to turn it around again. It's it's only been four races, and I, I think we can give him a couple more. But I think just looking at the guys who have switched teams, like you're looking at your Perez, your Ricardos, your Signs, Alonso. Well, Alonso was out, so a little different. But um. I don't think he's really faring the best right now. Uh, um, big concern. I, a, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Kevin. Um, just kind of to piggyback off that, and then then we, then, um, we can kind of go to the next point. Like Shaq, how hard do you think it is for a for a driver to change their on track personality? Their on-track personality? Yeah. How hard do you think it is for a driver to change their on-track personality? Their driving style, how they approach passing, how they approach traffic, how they approach, you know, pushing, you know? Uh, I, think it de- I think it depends on the driver. If you're talking about talents like Verstappen and Hamilton, I think they're better at it than others. Um, like, for instance, I think a Hamilton Verstappen are better at adapting to what their car gives them than, say, like a Vettel or a Button. Um, so I think it just depends on, on the driver, to be honest with you. I, I feel like what you talked about, Kevin, is a, potentially an extremely dangerous thing in this realm. Um, these guys have come up through the different formula circuits and have crafted a person a persona that they're comfortable with. And right. I've never driven at 150 miles an hour, but... I want to imagine that you get to a certain point where instinct takes over the way you've done things traditionally, what you're comfortable with. You have to be able to react in a fraction of a second and changing up the way you do things at this level is going to potentially make you take an extra second to think about something, think about your approach rather than do what feels natural. And that could be very dangerous in this arena. So I, I, I would imagine that, uh, they're very, very cautious about finding the balance between, okay, do I be more aggressive here or do I stick to what I know? How, because the stakes in this sport are not like the NFL or the NBA in regards of the fact that at any given moment, a tragedy could happen. I mean, yes, yeah, sort of in those other context sports, but it's not the same. You know, this, these are tons of metal flying around 150 miles an hour. My final point that I wanted to make about the... Uh, these two drivers before we kind of move forward is I I want to make sure we don't come across as overly critical. I think that the two of them are under immense pressure. I think they're on under two different kinds of pressure. Uh, Botas reminds me so much of Kevin Durant in Golden State, where you, you have somebody who could be the guy just about anywhere else, or at least like a cornerstone of a franchise. But because of where he is, because of the rumblings, because of the comparisons, it's super difficult to make yourself be comfortable in that in that area. It just seems so similar to me. Um, and as far as 
Perez, I think everything you guys said holds true to go from quote unquote, the, the not the minors, but the the midfield to like the upper echelon of the sport. It, it's there's a lot of pressure. Every eye is always on you. And if you have a stud like Verstappen, who is consistently top three, suddenly your P7s and, and, and thereabouts look that much worse when realistically, maybe there's just an adjustment period. So just wanted to call that out. I mean, we know we know they're good drivers. They've both won races. They've both mm-hmm. done well for the last decade in F1. And like you said, at the end of the day, they're just up against the t- possibly two of the best guys we've ever seen in this sport. Yeah, in right. both basically in their prime, and it's <laughs> what can you do? So yeah, we we might be being overly critical for sure, uh, but they're in tough spots. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the midfield and how. Uh... How those teams have been performing. Um, Shaq, you want to walk us through uh, McLaren and Ferrari? Yeah, sure. Uh, so McLaren and Ferrari currently looking like the third and fourth, and you can kind of swap them however you like best teams on the grid. Uh, so just kind of running through their drivers, we have Lana Norris, who pretty much maintained his superb form in Portugal uh, by finishing best of the rest with a P7 to P5 finish. Uh, before kind of disappointing in the Spanish outing, um, or a disappointing Spanish outing, which saw him qualify in P9 uh, before finishing in P8 behind both Ferraris and his teammate, Ricardo. Now, Ricardo kind of has been struggling, uh, similar to Perez that we talked about earlier in the early season. Uh, kind of struggling to find his pace down in McLaren. Uh, in Portugal, he actually got dropped in qualifying in Q1, uh, where his teammate made it to Q3. Uh, but he was able to fight his way back through the pack uh, to a P9 finish. Now in Spain, he did look a little bit better and kind of regained some of his form. He actually outqualified his teammate. Uh, actually, I think it was actually for the third time this season, uh, putting it in P7 and uh, qualifying before finishing in P6 just behind uh, Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari. Now, Carlos Sainz, who's also new uh, to Ferrari, very similar to very similar situation to Ricardo. Uh, does seem to be faring a little bit better in the Ferrari, uh, where he was able to qualify his teammate in Portugal before a questionable strategy call from the team saw him drop out of the points uh, from P5 down to P11. Uh, now in Spain, he did manage to start in P6 before finishing P7, which is pretty respectable. Uh, Leclerc, uh, very similar to Norris, kind of continues his sensational run in the Ferrari. Uh, he had a, I think, P8 to P6 finish in Portugal and then followed that up with a P4 to P4 run in Spain. Those are there, guys. Gotcha, gotcha. Thanks for that. Um, so with Ferrari's recent performances, are they back to the top of the midfield, that is? Or do you think that they could potentially do better than what they've showed thus far? I don't... Just being honest and as, like, frank as possible, I don't know that they can match the pace of the very very front of the pack the very tip of the spear but i really think that as we've uh, let's see i think has sciences or is it leclerc's pulled uh who's pulled a podium uh leclerc pulled a podium in imola he was a uh, p3, p3 i think yeah, yeah. i think no that, no no norris uh, was p3 uh norris he had a podium somewhere 
I don't so, remember yeah, where it was, but he does have a podium. So between these it had two to teams, have been, like, it had to have been Bahrain. Yeah, had to be the first race. Um, no, but they, it um, wasn't Bahrain either. No, no, it wasn't. Because both maybe I'm came, thinking of, came third. Maybe I'm thinking about Norris. Um, no, he hasn't. He hasn't. Um, he hasn't podium because he his his finishes were four six four six, um, so he doesn't have a podium. Okay, so I'm thinking about Norris. But that said, I don't think uh, Ferrari has the pace to compete with the very tip of the spear. Now they could also they could probably pick off, you know, the lead teams maybe second drivers every once in a while just based off of their race pace and how they've been driving these first four races that could change but it looks right now like that's kind of where ferrari is sitting and also where mclaren is sitting um but i don't think ferrari is back back even though um bonato said he said something to the same effect when you know he was asked you know about ferrari's performance and you know where they were um you know he said we we still have some some work to do to get back to the place you know where ferrari has been or where ferrari reserve deserves to be something to that respect he said in the interview and you know i agree with that so do you think go ahead go ahead no go ahead i was just gonna ask do you think that they're where would you rank the two of them um ferrari and mclaren would you put ferrari ahead or mclaren ahead right now do you think um i think as uh you know as a whole team yeah, just yeah, as, as a package. Oh, as a, yeah, as a package. Um, I'm putting Ferrari ahead, um, just because I think we've seen more consistent performances from Science paired with Leclerc than we have with Norris and Ricardo. Not to say that Norris hasn't been consistent and he's like driving his ass off, but I think the sort of inconsistency between qualifying and race uh, with Ricardo, um, Danny Rick trying to actually, you know get used to the car and put together a strong weekend i think that inconsistency puts them right now below ferrari as far as performance goes this year um but they're still very close to each other i think i'm actually going to go the opposite i think we're going to say mclaren uh is ahead of ferrari and i think we'll get to the we'll get to the danny rick talk in, in a second uh, i know tori's tori really wants to talk about that but um i think mclaren just has a better car i think i think ferrari did really well this weekend but I think the reason they're able to do that well is because they were on a track where they just people couldn't really overtake. I think Ferraris, I think Ferraris just kind of pour on their tires. They they were last year as well. I think they're very rough on their tires and they kind of burn through tires. Um, and I think it leaves them kind of very vulnerable at the end of stints. Whereas I think McLaren's a little bit kinder on the tires and can run a little bit longer uh, on their stints. So I think just mainly because of that, I think we're going to see McLaren do a little bit better. Than Ferrari, but I do think they're they're kind of there and thereabouts. Uh, I think it's really like Leclerc just running away with it. Signs does look good, um, and like I said, we'll 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 talk about Signs and Ricardo in a second. But yeah, I'm not yeah, going to disagree with you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say let's get into it now. Um, you know, it, so far it seems like Signs has adjusted better with Ferrari than Danny Rick has with McLaren. And if you're McLaren. Are you worried yet? Uh, do you see things turning around for, for Danny? I, me, personally, I feel like I was bamboozled. Um, you know, a lot of my expectation came from Drive to Survive. I mean, don't crucify me. I get it. it it's it's sensationalized. It's edited. But, like, I watched that, and I thought Danny Rick was, like, the outside of 
Hamilton, of course. Uh, I thought he was the guy. So I know he's made a, a huge adjustment switching teams, but like I kind of expected more than P6 and P7. I don't know if that's being unrealistic. What, what do you guys think? I'll let Kevin go first. Uh, hmm. Well, I... So, I was going to say earlier, I don't uh, disagree with Shaq saying that the McLaren is probably the better car out of the, out of the two, the faster car. Um, and so that kind of makes this situation um, that much more troubling um, in, in my eyes, knowing that the knowing that the actual car um, is is you know putting in work um, I I do see this I do see him improving kind of as the season goes along but I don't know if they're going to get the kind of it kind of performance um, week in and week out that they were really expecting from Danny Rick when they signed him and I don't know. Do we do we say that this is a this is a case of maybe expecting someone based on their performance in the midfield to kind of you know overperform um, when switching teams? Um, um, I know some people might say that about sorry. Might, some people might say that about Perez, even though we know that he's a great driver. Um, some people might say that about him. Um, is that? Do you think that's the case here? I guess I'll. I guess that's my question. You know, is are we expecting too much of Danny Rick, or did we expect too much of him switching teams this year? And I think that's really the that's really the main question here. And and if we are expecting too much, then maybe we need to adjust our expectations of his performance this year and it you know maybe it won't seem you know as troubling or disappointing if we do um so i I think perspective is a very important thing um and i think the media has been very hard on daniel ricardo uh so i just i just want to really take a look at at what daniel ricardo has done uh versus carlos Sainz. And before we get into that, I just I do want to start with one big thing. I think that we kind of forget to mention is that Ferrari got signs in very early. They had him testing um, old cars for the team super early, whereas Ricardo really didn't get that. He got basically mailed a book so that he could kind of learn the McLaren systems and things like that. But he wasn't driving the car like Signs was, so I think Signs did get quite a bit more seat time, which would benefit him. Um, but again. Uh, just just to give some perspective, we have two drivers, um, both with teammates that have been in their teens for, I believe, two years, um, both with very good teammates. And I just want to read out what, what their basically like stat lines are versus their teammates right now, and I want you guys to tell me who you'd rather have. So, Ricardo and Sainz, one of these drivers has outqualified their teammate three times and has had finishes in the points in every race. The other driver has out-qualified their teammate two times and has had finishes in the points three out of four races. 
If I were to give you guys those with with a blank slate, which one of those two drivers are you going to take? The points, and that's Danny Rick, isn't it? It's Danny Rick. So Daniel Ricciardo has actually out-qualified Lando Norris three out of four races and has finished in the points at all four races with two P6s, a P7, and a P9 versus Sainz, who's out-qualified Leclerc. Uh, I believe... I actually I said twice. It's actually just once. He's up qualified Leclerc, and that was I believe in Portugal, and he's finished a P five, a P seven, a P eight, and then outside of the points a P eleven. So, I think we're actually being a little critical of Daniel Ricciardo, and I think it's kind of like what Tori talked about: is we expect so much from him because he has won I think seven race, six or seven races in the past, and he's been so good. And like I said, I think perspective is an important thing. Uh, we do have to keep in mind that Daniel Ricciardo, prior to coming to McLaren, has driven with only the Renault power unit. That's the only power unit he's used in his entire F1 career since he came in in, what, 2013? Uh, so I think that's important to note. Uh, so this is a big adjustment for him. Uh, it's He's never driven this before. Now, granted, I don't think Carlos Sainz has ever driven a Ferrari power unit before either, uh, but it's seven years of driving one way and driving with one power unit is hard to adjust and again less seat time um i actually don't think danny rick's doing too bad and i, th- I think he's going to be catching up we saw for the first time this weekend he did beat his teammate in the actual race uh i, th- I think he's gonna be okay um i think again media kind of just has drummed it up just because it's daniel ricardo we want so much from him but i think when you really put it out on paper he's not doing that much worse than signs if worse at all to be honest with you and that's how I see it. I expect greatness, Shaq. <laughs> greatness. You'll get him every. Week. Listen, this guy. This guy loves Monaco. I, I do expect he's going to be really good at Monaco. Um, bold prediction. I think he qualifies top five, possibly even top four in Monaco. Uh, maybe not top four. Um, depends on Perez. Either five or four. It kind of depends on how Perez does. I think he's going to be up there in Monaco. Um, he he likes that track, and he's he's won it once, almost won it a second time. So I expect good things from him this weekend. Or in two weeks. Cool. Sounds good. That's good perspective. I, I I have to kind of retrain my brain when it comes to considering the championship, considering point totals, because you know, your whole life you grow up in any sort of race, you from a foot race to Mario Kart, is first, second, and third. Whereas like in this realm, top 10, hey, man, are, are you somewhere in that top 10? Then you had a, a decent day. Um, and that's just not something I'm used to thinking of. So that's a really good call out because the consistent points are going to matter so much more at the end of the season than, uh, hey, you won a race here, but then you, 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 you uh, were out of the points for the next four or five races. So I, I, I get that. Um, let's move on. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the grid. Um, Kevin, do you want to you want to take us through uh, folks here? Um, yeah, sure. We can. Uh, I can carry us through the rest of the grid. Um, so we're talking about Alpine and Aston Martin, Alpha Tauri, uh, Alpha Romeo, Williams, and Haas. Um, um, as far as Alpine, it's not much to. Uh, not much to really talk about. Um, Ocon is doing very well um, in, in the Alpine, and you know he looks to be getting back to uh, his previous form. Um, Alonso still looks to be a little bit tentative in car um, and on track. Um, he's not quite up to quite up to speed 
in that car as far as qualifying goes. Uh, within the race, not so bad. Still, you know, drives with the with the experience that we know um, that he has. Um, now, as far as Aston Martin goes, um, the upgrades they brought, um, uh, they didn't really they didn't really shine um, in the race, um, as you know, both the drivers failed to make it into the points in Spain. Um, Vettel seems to be getting a little bit closer to Lance Stroll. Um, I'm not sure whether that's just happenstance or whether Vettel is really getting used to the car and really picking up picking up the pace and that's going to continue. Um, but we'll keep an eye on that as the season goes on. Uh, for Alpha Tauri, you know, I don't know. You're your boy is in there and Gasly Gasly <laughs> and you know we you know their car their car did not look slow their car did not look slow to start the season and you know but as far as race finishes go they've been looking kind of disappointing outside of the um I think both Yuki and Gasly have had um um Sonoda I mean have had kind of a you know an all right finish um, this year, definitely in the points, um, but you know they've been really disappointing. Now that some, and just in Spain, Gasly finished. Did he finish tenth or ninth? Tenth. He got one. But point. wasn't he like a hair off of ninth? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was battling um, Ocon at the end, like at the very and end of the had, race. And he also had like a five second penalty, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I'd say okay. Gasly actually had a really good drive in Spain. Uh, his his Spain drive was good. It was just that that time penalty that he he incurred kind of kind of killed his race. Uh, yeah, but yeah. he did have Not a good a drive. Um, yeah. But I I agree with Kevin that that car looked a lot faster in the preseason and in Bahrain. I thought I thought they were going to be right up there with McLaren. And it's looking like they're more so going to be fighting maybe the Aston Martins and and the Alpines. But. Or possibly fighting each other, <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> um, but we've seen um, on track, especially we've seen Sunoda kind of get flustered. I don't know whether you call it flustered or frustrated, or he's got a li- he's got um, and he's got a little bit of an on track temper, um, and it's you know maybe you could see that. Um, uh, I guess my comparison would be um, somebody who you know works in an office versus somebody who works in a professional kitchen. Communication is a lot more direct in a professional kitchen. Um, it's not really you know you don't really have time to explain things in grand detail. So we've seen some of the, I've heard some of the the radio uh, comments between you um, Sunoda and his race engineer. Um, and it seems, you know, like he might be feeling the pressure of being an F1. Um, we've also seen um, in the news uh, that there were some comments he made during the weekend where he complained that his car was undrivable. And in those comments, he seemed to insinuate that maybe his car wasn't the same as his teammates, uh, Pierre Gasly. Um, so do we think that the pressure is getting to him? Um, do we think the F1 pressure is getting to him? Do we think that maybe it's bringing out a different side of him? Because, you know, he seemed to be a pretty 
balanced and level-headed, you know, young driver coming in. But do we think the pressures? Do we think the pressure is changing that? So I think, and kind of, kind of my, my thought process on it is, I think Sunoda is a very talented young driver. Uh, out coming out of Japan, he's only I think been competing internationally for two years or so. And I think this is really probably the first time that he's had a teammate that's getting the best of him. And I think that might be getting to his head. Uh, I, th- I think just just the competition and just being a rookie and maybe not being able to fully grasp. I mean, F1's tough. Um, just not being able to fully grasp everything right away. I think that just might be getting to him and causing him to kind of act out a little bit. Uh, I, th- I, th- I hope it'll get better because I really do like him. Uh, but I think I think that's what we're seeing. I, I think that we've kind of talked about context a bit this this uh, this episode, and uh, I've seen across sports, just like when you're look, every person that's in the NBA was the unequivocal, absolute best player that was on every team that they came up on, whether that was high school, college, amateur, whatever. They were the guy, and then they go to the league and suddenly you are just one of the other guys. And I think um, it's fair to deal with frustration when suddenly you realize that you you might not even be the best driver on your team currently. So I think the frustration is all right. I think the passion is, is all right and should be fostered. I think the delivery of it is what he needs to work on. Um, at the end of the day, you going in, in, in the public eye and saying your car is undrivable is going to do but create strife in your own organization. You need to find a way to deliver that in a more positive, encouraging way, even if that's how you truly feel. Um, that's my take right. on it. I'm hoping that this is something that he will get a better handle on with time, but I, I get it. Um, as far as Alfa Romeo... Um... They still have cars on the track. Um, okay. can, can someone please tell me? No, can someone please explain to me how, like, who did, who did Giovinazzi piss off in F one that like he literally just doesn't get talked about at all? But I've never seen an onboard of Giovinazzi during a race. I've never seen a qualifying lap from Giovinazzi. <laughs> to be dead honest with you, I could see him in public and I would not know who he was. Like, I have, I have it's no idea he's the most saying. anonymous person I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> literally just, it, 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 they, treat them, they treat them like fodder. And they don't even make the news as much as Haas does, which is the crazy, <laughs> crazy part, right? Haas is at the very bottom. You would think no one would talk about them, but we hear more about them than we do Alfa Romeo. It's, uh, it's very interesting. It's, I don't, I, you can't even, could you call it a blacklist? It's not a blacklist thing. Like, but he's a, like Jovanazzi. Like we talk about Kimmy because everyone loves Kimmy, but like it's Jovanazzi just doesn't like. Like I don't I don't know where he's finished this season. I don't know if he's doing better than Kimmy or anything. I literally don't know anything. I just I haven't seen the guy. Same, but um, they're there doing things, driving around on the track and getting past sometimes, um, and running into each other other times. Um, as far as Williams goes. Um, Mr. Saturday, George Russell, still does his thing during qualifying. Um, but he's still uh, back to uh, 
our new name, uh, that downforce <laughs> in traffic, it, you know, it's rather peaky. It's great in clean air, but um, around um, around other cars, it, it just seems to fall off a cliff, um, like the soft tires do. Um, and uh, Latifi, oh man, finished behind Schumacher in Portugal, um, which means a Haas beat a Williams for the first time um, in this season. Which, uh, I mean, that's that's something to talk about for sure. My um, my twenty twenty two wish list at probably like P two on that wish list is that now that Williams has money, they get rid of Latifi. Really nice guy, but I mean, I think almost anyone they could get from F two could probably do the job he's doing. So yeah, no, well, uh, nice guy though. Yeah, I'm sure he's great, but uh, yeah. So uh, we'll see if Russell can turn Saturday successes into Sunday points. Um, and last but not least, and strangely more talked about than probably the two teams ahead of them, um, is Haas. Um, you know, it's a tale of kind of it's two sides of a coin at Haas, which is strange. Schumacher showing promise. Um, he looks like a solid rookie. He's getting, you know, he's getting his sea legs underneath him. Yeah. Despite Inge the Thomas fact that injured his first mechanic the other day. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, despite the fact that you know he's in a Haas, he's still you know doing his thing and getting up to speed, but. Like on the complete other side of the coin, um, Mazepin has um, just like I, okay. Well, I will not start. I will not start this with Mazepin hate or jokes or memes or whatever. He didn't spin out. He finished this race. He didn't crash into anybody. I think as you could call those bare minimum things, but. That's happened pretty much every race <laughs> before this one, um, and so I think we got to give him, I guess, props for advancing some way, shape, or form. For keeping his car on track. For keeping his car on track. I mean, whatever points you would give somebody for Just... keeping their car on track when they're getting paid, you know, thousands of dollars. Um, but he keeps. But now to the hate, he keeps picking up penalties. It's consecutive races for impeding a lapped car um we heard we heard the um blue flags blue flags from was that um who was that on the radio oh, that was Race from Control. total yeah that was total yeah like, blue but flags, this guy makes us lose position so i was like oh, to, oh, oh no to be fair to mazepin i think toto was just getting very anxious because they hadn't even put out blue flags for mazepin yet so i don't think he really did anything wrong in that situation that was a funny race radio message and i loved it but yeah he didn't, he didn't really do anything. He actually, um, so I, I went back and watched Zomboros because I'm a loser. Um, he actually, the, the second the blue flags came out and his engineer like told him about the blue flag, uh, he actually moved over pretty much right away to let Hamilton through. So, um, so he really didn't do anything wrong in that situation. Yeah, it didn't, yeah, it didn't look that bad, um, even from Hamilton's viewpoint, especially when the blue flags did come out. But that said, he's still just been an aggravating presence to driver other drivers on the track and has just kind of just kind of 
it, to them it seems like he's kind of like dicking around on, on on the track in some cases kind of either slowing down people's fast laps not getting out of the way um ruining other people's qualifying laps um yeah. and getting penalties for it even though he's already at the back of the pack um how you know so, how does he improve how did you know i mean i guess you say time but like it's it's kind of a balance of how much time do you give someone and i kind of liken it to like a lance stroll when stroll came in um he had some issues uh kind of getting in, like when he first came into f1 where at there were races where he didn't really look like he belonged i think the biggest differences for me between mazepin and stroll is that I think Stroll just came in too early, right? Stroll came in straight out of winning F3. Um, so very similar to Verstappen, never did F2 or anything. Um, came straight out of F3, right into F1. And I think he maybe came in a little too early. But we know that Stroll has won F3. Stroll has won other junior series. Stroll has won a bunch in karting as well. So we know he, he has the driving ability. I think the big difference for me with Nikita Mazepin is looking back at his junior career, Throughout his karting and junior, like, open-wheel open racing career, he's never actually won a championship. Like, not one. You look at any other driver on that on in F1 CV, they've won pretty much everything they've done in karting. I mean, if you look at Verstappen, his karting is ridiculous. His open-wheel racing, he hasn't won any open-wheel open wheel racing championships, but that's because he only drove for, like, a year and a half in open-wheel racing before he came into F1. Um, but yeah, Mazepin actually hasn't won anything. It's it's basically, he is pretty much, to me, the definition of pay driver, where your whole career was just funded because you have money. He's not a horrible driver. We saw in F2 he managed to finish P5 in the championship. So that tells me, okay, in the grand scheme of things, in the whole world, yes, you're not terrible. But at the end of the day, this is F1. It's supposed to be the 20 like top drivers in the world, right? You're at the pinnacle of motorsport, as they say. And I don't think anything about this guy's career, unfortunately, really proves that he should be with along with the company that he's in. Yep, and I can't really. There's nothing I can say to argue argue that. Um, I I would agree. I don't. I don't. Like you said, time might be the way that he improves, but you know, where's the ceiling? I think the ceiling is, you know, already, already, um, I guess we can already see it. We've already seen it in his other racing series. And I don't think that it, I don't, I, I hate, I don't, I don't want to like be, you know, the office chair driver, you know, or office chair team manager, but it, you know, I don't know if the ceiling that he has would has would earn him or would earn him like a seat next year um if this kind of performance continues yeah yeah that's yeah that's what i got for for um mazepin um hopefully god um off week monaco hopefully he doesn't ruin someone's day um in monaco um and you know run somebody else into a wall but you know we'll see we'll see
We shall see, man. I don't know how I but I hope he proves me wrong. Yeah. Yep. Hey, you never know, man. You never know. That's just what we've seen out of him, you know, up until this point. And maybe he turns a corner. Maybe finishing a race and, and, and not, you know, pulling the massive spin. Maybe that's what's needed to be that confidence boost. You never know. Anything could happen. Uh, yeah, anything. Yeah, and I mean, anything. like we said, like it's not like the kid can't drive at all. He's he's made it to everyone, right. and he he's won races enough to. He's not. If if you put me and him in, in cars next to each other, he's gonna destroy me, right? Um, yeah. I th- I think. We can only go by what we've been shown so far, um, and what I've been shown so far throughout his entire career is that he's just not. Pinnacle of motorsport material, I guess, is what I'd say. See, uh, I can't even. I can't even go. The reason why I believe that he doesn't really have it has, like, okay, he's one of the best drivers in the world. Sure, yes, he has ability. Not sure about the ceiling. His resume doesn't really, you know, you know, lacking in championships doesn't really put him up there. I'm more concerned with the 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 kind of personality that I see on track and I've seen on track in his previous series and how he guards, how he passes, how he defends, like I just don't like it. And it's not to say that it's dirty, but it just doesn't it it it's it's it, borderline it's, dangerous. Yes, it's yeah, that's 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 what I really want to say. It's it's un it's unsafe. <laughs> it's it's unsafe, and there's a reason why it it upsets people. The the kinds of moves that he makes or has made. Um, you know, I went back. I was like, this guy can't really be that bad. And watch just like a compilation of you know different passes and moves, and it they all they all just look to be like right on the cusp of yeah race control may not say anything but like if i was in the other car that you did that to i would find you in the pit lane sort of moves and that's why i don't think that i think that he should be um out of a seat next year personally i'm gonna say that really early maybe he turns it around but i don't think he comes back well i think he'll be back just because i well, it's it's something we'll touch on uh, when we when we circle around. I think next week and do the do the news. But I think there's a chance his dad's going to be buying a team or taking oh. majority stake in a team. And if that's the case, the son's going to have a seat. So we'll see. God, the scene's not okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll come back to that. Cool. Um, All right. Um. I think that's everything we got this time, guys. Uh, any any additional thoughts before we uh, we wrap up here? Uh, no. Uh, looking forward to qualifying in Monaco. Uh, we'll catch you guys in two weeks uh, for that. And I guess tune in next week. I think we're going to circle around and do a kind of a short bridge podcast just on some kind of news that we haven't got a chance to touch on uh, with uh-huh. the hectic kind of schedule we've been going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, For Kevin and Shaq, I'm Tori. This is Peaky Downforce. Until next time.